0: The future of project management is changing fast. On Projectified with PMI, we'll help you stay ahead of the trends as we talk about what that means for the industry and for everyone involved.
1: I'm Stephen W. May for Projectified with PMI. For an easy way to stay up to date on Projectified with PMI, go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and PMI.org podcast In this episode, we meet Laurie Bingham, who leads the technology PMO at communications giant T-Mobile. Laurie shares her insights and lessons learned on adopting and integrating agile principles and practices into a variety of work environments. It's an ongoing journey, and we're excited to hear about it. Laurie, I've really been looking forward to talking with you again. Thanks for being here.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, it is certainly our pleasure. So why do you do it? You are making a career, you have made a career, in complex, large-scale projects and programs. And I know from my own experience, that is not the easiest way to make a living.
0: Journey that I have been on, especially when it comes to project management, uh, what keeps me going is the fact that it's constantly changing. It has always been incredibly exciting and fun, challenging and hard. Um, but I would say that uh, just the, the constant change of all things in IT and project management and engineering, uh, it just excites me on a very regular basis. So, so I keep coming back every day.
1: You have worked across um, a variety of industries. You've worked across a variety of functional areas and focus areas. What do you see changing?
0: Well, especially when it comes to the structure of projects and understanding project management and program management, Uh, it has changed over the last couple of decades while I've been doing this to be much more of a profession. Uh, It did not start out that way early in my career. We didn't call it project management, but we were doing that same kind of work. I think the the big change for me has been uh, the professionalism of project management and the appreciation of project management. And so I I think that that's, you know, probably the the biggest change is just that there are more organizations that are recognizing that you uh, you need a project manager to get a lot of this work done. You can cut a PMO out, uh, but ultimately it's going to crop back up again because uh, that work needs to get done. It needs to get organized. It needs to be structured in order to be able to be successful.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've observed is a shift in focus. If I look across maybe the last decade. There's been a shift in from exclusively looking at or primarily looking at uh, technical components of the work, which are still really important things. And this shift over to things related to managing change and gaining Mm -hmm. buy in and creating alignment and leadership and a whole variety of soft skills that are now seen as uh, critical for successful project management. So I'd be interested in what your take is on that.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's uh, it's incredibly valuable to, to bring that to the table. The project manager is not just somebody who's writing down the tasks, tasks and the due dates. They're there to see that uh, work as a grander scale Um, And they bring tons of soft skills to the table. So they're helping to motivate uh, team members to make sure that they are doing the work when they need to, and they're getting the support that they need. So that takes, uh, you know, a lot of uh, what we would traditionally call management uh, skills. But the Project manager needs to have those too. They need to understand how their project fits with the total portfolio of all of the rest of the projects. And they need to understand how their project is contributing to the company's bottom line. You know, making that connection for themselves as well as the project team makes all the difference in being a successful project.
1: We want to hear more about why and how your company has been making this journey from a uh, much more traditional view of projects to something that is both agile and one of the words that you've used is hybrid not just agile but also hybrid projects so right. talk to me a little bit about the the why and the how around that
0: sure we take lots of risks we go big and we push the industry forward and so we may be trying new technology we might be trying a, a new way to connect our cell sites to our network we're we're reaching out and trying to do brand new things that nobody has done before. And you can't do that in a waterfall kind of project approach. You're going to have to try things, try it fast, fail fast, um, be able to move forward and make those corrections as quickly as possible. So our our projects are uh, traditionally more waterfall-ish in in terms of engineering. I mean, that just kind of uh, lends itself more to a waterfall approach but there are times when we have to do like what you were saying and you call it a hybrid it's you know the very beginning of the of the project may be very agile because we're trying things uh, in a new space that's never been tried before when we deploy it across our entire network that may be a little more waterfall like when we have to deploy it across 50,000 cell sites so um we we try to talk about Agile as if it is a tool in the toolbox. It's not right for every project. It's not wrong for every project. And we want our PMs to to have it as a tool that they can use given the right circumstances. I,
1: I love to hear the the up close personal firsthand experience so that we understand what the journey looks like for you where did you come into the process and specifically at T-Mobile where you are now, but when you came into that, that transition of moving from a a much more waterfall environment to something that is, that is both agile and hybrid, where -hmm. were you in the process and then where are you now?
0: So two plus years ago, there was, there was very little and it was just kind of a discussion topic. Uh, Now we have, multiple teams who are branching out into it. We've got people who are going through training. We've got certain teams that are further along than others. But I would say, especially in the spaces of the tools that we use in order to be able to um, automate uh, things that engineers may have been doing more manually in the past, those utility teams that are building those kinds of tools are using much more agile principles than ever before. And we're, the PMO is there to help support them. So the teams are becoming more agile and going through their training and the PMO is right there alongside them, uh, to be able to help and support them. We, we help and support, uh, some teams more than others, some want to be very independent in their approach, uh, and others want some some more collaboration and so we scale our involvement depending on what they need us to do
1: yeah so you are specifically involved with a technology pmo and and obviously you're in the, in the wireless industry um, if you look right now at at all of the projects and programs, however you're dividing those up with that are under the view of that PMO or in some way supported by that PMO. What's your mix now?
0: We have uh, anywhere between 400 and 600 projects in our portfolio at any one point in time, which is crazy amounts of numbers. Um, I would say it's probably a smaller percentage that are pure agile there there's much more in that hybrid uh, arena where they're doing parts of the project using agile and other parts that might be a little more waterfall yeah. um, I would say probably in that hybrid space there's there's easily a third of our portfolio right now that's in that space. Um, And there's some areas that are just never going to be that way. So it's not like we have a goal to to force uh, teams and and projects into that methodology. We just want to be able to uh, allow all of the PMs exposure to the methodology and as well as the teams themselves exposure to the methodology and see, hey, does this fit for your team or not? We had, as an example, one of the teams that we have been working with um, started out thinking that they should probably go to Agile. You know, they did some training, and um, and it wasn't seeming to necessarily fit their work. And then we had a discussion with them about using a Kanban board, and they were like, "Oh, well, that fits our work much better." And it's like, right, that's exactly what we're talking right. about. It's like you got to find the right tool for the right team for the right project.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you are leaving that decision to the project manager.
0: Sometimes we've left it to the team itself. Uh, Sometimes it has been the influence of the project manager. Sometimes it's more of a steering committee kind of discussion. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, the project team has started out with one methodology and moved to another uh, midstream. So we don't have a prescriptive way that that Mm -hmm. happens. Uh, we let it kind of happen a little more organically, and and that seems to work for us. Um, some of the teams, like I said, we we have some teams that are uh, pushing all of their work into the into the agile space, and so naturally, when we're engaging with those teams, uh, we would kind of lean towards using an agile methodology. Um, and then other teams haven't been exposed to it yet. So we wouldn't necessarily push it on them, but we would certainly, if it felt right to introduce it, we would introduce it. Um, but again, it's it's the team members that really have to be engaged in that. If, it, if it's not the right time for that team to, to suddenly flip the way that they do their work, we're not going to force them.
1: Right. Right. So it's interesting to me. In this situation, it sounds like people do have a choice, Mm -hmm. but you're still making significant changes. It sounds like you've made a lot of progress in two years. So what do you think is motivating that?
0: Well, I think they're just really seeing the benefit of it. Uh, they're they're recognizing and they're kind of you know seeing the team that might you know sit next door to them. Hey, they're doing some things a little bit differently, and they're able to deliver a whole lot quicker. Maybe we should try that out. Um, you know, and we do a lot of communications about the success of our projects and what they're able to accomplish in a short amount of time. Um, and so I think it's it's partly the the reputation of the success. Of the projects that are using the agile methodology, that is sparking some interest in others, uh, and you know, it's it's sharing those kinds of learnings so that other people can recognize it. Um, and like I said, we we are a company that moves super super fast. And if you've got a methodology and a and a process that uh, doesn't necessarily lend itself to moving fast, um, we have a lot of people that will encourage you to rethink that. <laughs> Maybe a little competition thrown in there too. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm good with some healthy competition. That's okay. Yes. <laughs> so, so you've, you've given us a sense of, of the environment. You've made a lot of progress, two years. It sounds mm-hmm. like you're still in a journey, but when you look back, what do you think have been the most significant challenges?
0: Well, I think the, the most significant challenge is just, uh, you know, the team or the project that tries it first. Uh, that, that's always the hardest, uh, step in the process. Uh, you know, being the first one out there, uh, to get all of the attention is, is not an easy place to be in. Um, and I think, you know, the, the other challenge is, uh, recognizing that you might need to make some tweaks in the process, um, quicker and sooner in the process than you ever did before. So it's that contra- constant, uh, retrospective that you need to include in the process. Um, changing that habit of talking to the customers on a regular basis and getting their feedback on a regular basis and then reacting accordingly. That's not that wasn't um, you know that wasn't a standard part of our process before, and we've we've had. Uh, you know some stumbles along the way of not including the right stakeholders, even as we were doing retrospectives until the end, and and then a very significant stakeholder may look at the product and say, "Hey, wait a minute, did you think about this?" And everybody sighed and said, "No." Yeah. Um, so so we still have some way to go. Um, we still have some learnings to do, but. But this organization is one that appreciates that and understands that and doesn't punish people for it, which is fabulous. You know, they they get excited when we have learnings and can um, and and can then, you know, implement those in the next go round. So nobody is shamed, nobody is you know, blamed. We don't have that kind of culture here. We have a a ongoing culture within our organization of let's try it, let's try it. Um, fast. Let's learn from it and and introduce those kinds of changes back into the process.
1: So, do people there view this this move, this journey, this transition to a, a more agile way of working? Do they view that as a project?
0: No, I wouldn't say that we view it as a project. Partly because it's it's kind of the way our entire company is thinking. You know, we are not only changing this within engineering and IT and and those kinds of disciplines, but we are sending all of our managers to a class called um, the agility shift. So we want literally everybody in our entire organization to think in an agile manner. Um, it's a culture shift and change within the entire organization. So is it a project with a project manager, like checking off um, milestones? No, but Everybody has to go to class. And and then everybody has a vocabulary that they can use to to talk about things differently. And um, it, so it's, it's more of a program that we are kind of embedding within the organization. Um, but no, not as – and I've worked other places that have run it like a project. Um, mm-hmm. But no, here at T-Mobile, we're not.
1: What's the highest level in the organization that would pay any attention to it, that would ask about it, that would monitor where we are, where does that go in the organization?
0: Well, certainly our CTO, mm-hmm. Neville Ray, um, okay. knows about this, um, knows about it, um, from the engineering perspective, as well as the it organization, our CIO, uh, Cody Sanford reports to Neville as well. Um, so, so he is very well versed in it and he's a former project manager, which makes, um, conversations with us super easy. Um, and so I would say he definitely, and if he knows about it, then I'm going to say, uh, Mr. Ledger knows about it too. Yeah. So all the way to the top.
1: Maybe I'll ask him about it on Twitter. How about that?
0: Okay, you ask him. He'll tweet (laughs) you back.
1: He's very very active. He's very
0: active. He is very active. He is. Yes, indeed. He's he's
1: fun to watch.
0: And he's just like that in person too.
1: Is it really? I've never met him, but I could. It comes through that way. It does come through sincere. You do think this guy would be just like this if you sat down to have lunch with him.
0: Yeah, exactly. We talk an awful lot about um, being authentic here at at T-Mobile. And I I think that starts at the top.
1: (laughs) If you go back and think about where uh, this move toward bringing agile thinking, agile practices, agile, agile approaches uh, to projects at T-Mobile, and it sounds like it goes beyond projects, the way you're describing it. Who started it? Where did this begin uh, at T-Mobile?
0: Yeah, um, I think it probably started in a couple of different pockets, all kind of simultaneously. So our our EIT organization, um, so Enterprise IT, um, started a couple of years ago by training all of the staff within IT on Agile principles. Uh, in the engineering space, there have been, um, you know, different pockets of the teams have you know, kind of tried it more organically, um, and then you know, all the way over into uh, the business side of our uh, of our business, whether it's you know the care and retail and even finance and HR are all going through the agility shift classes for all of our managers. So they they had some sort of you know you know impetus to trying out um, that particular methodology within our manager classes. So I think it kind of started from multiple points um, and is kind of bubbling all up together.
1: One of the things that you said became a challenge somewhere along the way was that there were times when leaders wanted to, and your words were lock all sides of the triangle. Tell me, tell me more about that.
0: Sure. So so this was not at T-Mobile. Uh, okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> See, I'm taking us back. I'm taking
1: us back uh, even further. Then, okay.
0: Yes, a little bit um, further back in my career, but but yes, it's um, it's when when the organization has gotten uh, used to and trained on how a waterfall project works, and you can describe the scope and you can define the budget and the timeline all at the very beginning. Uh, They get very used to being able to talk about projects that way at the very beginning. Um, Moving to an Agile methodology uh, was, uh, it was a very interesting conversation uh, when they, uh, you know, had somebody present to them and say, no, we want you just to give us a bunch of money and we'll come back in, you know, six months and let you know what we built. And (laughs) that was, they, they, pretty much left us out of the room. It was, you know, they're trying to run a business. The idea of giving a project team a bunch of money and we'll let you know what we come up with in six months just doesn't really fit a good, solid business model. So at, at that particular organization, we had to come up with a way of satisfying, wanting to know all three of those aspects at the beginning, but also being allowed to use agile principles and methodologies uh, to run the project and had to come up with a balance. So we would do a def- what we called a define phase at the very beginning of the project, very waterfall-like, um, being able to come up with a very distinct set of scope. Um, but then the development phase of the project was run with agile principles. And then we would flip back to waterfall again at the very end of the project to make sure that we had operational turnover and training, et cetera, in a more waterfall approach at the very end of the project. So so in in businesses that are, you know, very waterfall at first and trying to move to a agile methodology, like moving from one to the next is... A giant leap for some organizations, and so you—that's you, you know—it's through that experience that I learned you—you you have to tailor it for the culture of the organization. That particular organization was very um, accounting focused and was very um, concerned about the bottom line and the cost of every project. So budget was very important. Other organizations like i've I've worked in um, you know nonprofit organizations. It, it's not that they aren't concerned about budget. It's just that they're more concerned about the quality of the project or the timeline of the project. So different organizations care about different aspects of the project, and you have to tailor your agile implementation towards um, what's important to that organization.:
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. I, When you had mentioned it before, we didn't get a chance to go in depth. And just for uh, some that may not be familiar, give us the the 30 seconds on what you mean by the three sides of the triangle.
0: Oh, sure. So three sides of the triangle. That's a PMI thing. <laughs> um It's a scope on one side and budget on the other and timeline on the third. And then usually quality is, you know, either around the outside or in the center. Um, But but being able to lock what am I going to get, how much is it going to cost, and when am I going to get it? And defining all three of those at the very beginning of an Agile project is, you know, because you haven't done all of that, the work that would tell you those answers at the very beginning because you're cause you're agile and you're doing in sprints. Um, it was, it was a difficult thing to do at the very beginning. Yeah.
1: You also told me about, uh, a kind of lesson learned that you had around this idea of letting the data lead us to the answer. Tell me, tell me that story.
0: <laughs> sure. Um, this goes to um, all of the folks out there who might be uh, familiar with Six Sigma methodology. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's it's really important to let uh, the the data lead you to the answer. We we have had um, a scenario here uh, in the last just in the last couple of months where we've been trying to prioritize features. So we have a list of features and we want to figure out, you know, which ones do we, you know, basically do first, second, third. Um, And through that process, there was lots of uh, passion uh, by multiple constituents. So we've got stakeholders in multiple organizations um, that are all feeding in their requirements for the features and uh, lots of passion. But it was more uh, emotionally driven, not necessarily bad emotions, but um, but it was anecdotally related and not data-driven. So we took some time to do some data analysis and figure out just some basic things like What's the duration of the particular, you know, like how long does it take to do the process today? What's, you know, what's the start? What's the end? How long does it naturally take in today's world? Uh, How many times do we do it? So what's the volume of uh, how many times we have to do this thing? And then um, what's the error rate or failure rate of how often we do it and it doesn't work? So those kinds of things, and we talked in advance of, having to actually talk about any of the features, but we talked about the prioritization model in advance so that we said things like if it's the, you know, we would want to prioritize something that has the longest duration first. Um, Things that may take six months to do um, would come prior to something that is only a few minutes to do. Um, We would also want to prioritize things that have the highest volume. So if we do 10,000 of them every month, we would want to um, think about doing that feature first versus something that we only do once or twice a year. Um, And same with the failure rate. If we have a failure rate of 50%, like half the time it doesn't work well, um, we might want to prioritize that feature above all the rest. And what was very interesting is when we finally got the data in front of us, people were surprised about one of the features that they had naturally put down maybe five or six on the list actually had the longest duration the highest volume and the highest failure rate out of all of the features. And they were like, wow, this is really helpful to have this data. And you know, of course I chuckled and said, yes, we're letting the data lead us. <laughs> and, and then it becomes a completely non-emotional and much more objective decision-making process. Um, it, was, it was a spectacular moment in my mind.
1: So it becomes the integration moment of Agile and Analytics.
0: Exactly, yes.
1: Are there particular practices or a particular practice that has really stood out for you? If you were to say, look, this is the thing that more people have gotten value from or more projects have gotten value from than anything else, what what would that be?
0: Uh, Listen to your customer, (laughs) like build a relationship and listen to the customer is by far the the biggest change in all of the agile methodology is, and it's kind of one of our principles here at t-mobile to begin with anyway it's like and you know that's what ledger does is he talks to the customers that's why he's so active on twitter is because he's trying to find out from the actual customers what they want and need Um, when it comes to agile principles that is that is the biggest difference is that suddenly the, the development team is right there with somebody who is, you know, we used to call them the business. Um, they, they used to be, you know, the organization that was over in the other building and the IT organization or the engineering organization didn't necessarily talk to them on a regular basis. It's, it's that building of relationship that is ongoing and constant that changes the entire dynamics of the project.
1: Is there an end game in your mind, or is is it well we're we're doing a much better job applying agile practices. We're leveraging this great principle of listening to the customer and engaging more effectively with the customer, so mm-hmm. that's great, let's do more of that, or is there a a point that you can see out there where you'd say, yeah, for us we've we've accomplished the journey?"
0: Yeah. So I, I guess I would answer that with no, it's always a journey. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think we will ever be done. And, and I also think that, you know, by the time we get pretty far along in this journey, there will be, you know, some new fancy methodology (laughs) that we'll get to use. You know, it's, um, it's a, it's an ever changing, uh, kind of field and industry and and we want to be able to to roll with the punches in in anything that we do. So no, I don't think that there's an end game. You know, there's just there's going to be more projects and yeah. the technology is constantly changing. So, yeah, there may be a time when when what we think of today is, no, this will never be agile because it has to be waterfall, there may be a time when that technology completely flips around and suddenly it can be agile too. And um, so as a result, no, I don't think it'll ever change. I think we will be constantly on this journey.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I want to drill in a little further into what you had identified as the Sort of single highest leverage practice. This focus on customer, this more mature way of in thinking about engaging with and listening uh, to the customer. What does that look like in your experience? So, when you think about a team that's doing that well, what are they actually doing?
0: Well, there's a lot of listening going on, and um, you know, it it looks like. There are very tight relationships between what, what would be called the customer and the developer. And in the sense that when it looks re- like a, a really tight team that is doing it really well, you can't tell the difference between who's the customer and who's the developer. You know, like they sp- end up speaking each other's language and can understand each other in a whole new sense that if they hadn't have been on a project team together, they wouldn't have had before. Um, It's, it's those long-term relationships that then get built so that then when you have another project, that's another, you know, really hard project with a really hard, you know, short deadline, those relationships help to uh, streamline the next project. And you can get a whole lot more work done when you've had, you've already established those kinds of relationships. So it's, it, it looks different in the sense that it's not a bunch of emails going back and forth to people that you don't really know and trust and, and understand well. It's, it's much more collaborative and understanding of where people are coming from.
1: Yeah. There was something else that you mentioned uh, when you and I talked recently. You talked about this repeated process of learn, trial, learn. Describe what you, what you meant by that
0: yeah it's it's just kind of the what i'm learning as i have now moved into an engineering space it's the traditional try it um learn from it then um you know reintroduce what you just learned into the next time that you do it it's a natural part of the engineering cycle uh which i think there's a lot of it organizations that could probably leverage that uh, on a much more regular basis but Again, it's to be able to try stuff, learn from it quickly, and be able to reintroduce those changes. It's um, it's it's just the natural way that this organization works, which I find really exciting and really fun. And sometimes it's really scary because we you know we do some crazy things sometimes. Uh, but but I think it it keeps the energy fresh, and. And like I said, it's, it's not a culture of blaming anybody because that thing didn't work. It's like, wow, what did you learn from that? And being able to celebrate what you learned from the experience rather than focusing on, hey, that thing failed. Um, it, it creates an, an opportunity for everybody on the team to be able to come up with what other organizations may call dumb ideas, but we're allowed to be able to explore those in a, in a much more supportive, innovative way.
1: Yeah. You've been working across wireless, healthcare, scientific research. You've worked on the IT side. You've worked on the engineering side. So you've had a a pretty broad view of projects and programs and and a lot of that in the midst of this journey into uh, more agile work practices. What have you learned about being effective in constantly changing environments?
0: Sure. Well, yeah. When you say it like that, it sounds like I'm a little nutty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just bold. But I guess yeah, bold and bold. courageous.
0: <laughs> so I think it. Um, you know, what excites me about all of those changes is the fact that there's constant learning going on. You know, I I get really energized by learning something new. And it may be a different industry, it may be a different discipline. You know, there's there's always been project management in my head. Uh, you know, even before it was called project management. So so that's been a very constant. But you know, and we we talk about this in project management that you can be a project manager for anything once you learn how to be a good project manager. And and. I think my career probably is an, is a testament to that. You can change industries, you can change from IT to engineering and all of those disciplines lend you, you know support you well and support the projects well and support the people around you really well.
1: One of the things that I know about you is you've had uh, a lot of involvement in organizations that help women to prosper in technology and in business. When you sit down with uh, a young woman who is up and coming project manager, project leader, what's your best advice to her about how she's going to flourish in the next decade?
0: Um, I, I think the, the best advice that I can give, um, to any woman, and actually I would say this for anybody, um, it's, it's work really hard, you know, let, let the work that you're doing shine because you're doing a stellar job at your work. Uh, that is the foundation of any of the job moves that I have made in my career. Um, you know, building that reputation of being really good at what you do is foundational for any career move um, that you can have, you know, decades later. later. It's, it's really important to do your job well, uh, be able to, to build teams well, to have all of those soft skills that we were talking about earlier. You know, you have to be a good leader. You have to be able to. You know, be empathetic with your team members. Uh, you have to be able to to lead them through very challenging, very hard times. Uh, you know, there there were times as a project manager when you know I <laughs> we had a a project that was going wrong in the middle of the night on a weekend and had to have one of the software developers come in and he had a small child that he had to bring with him to the office. Well, I brought my oldest daughter who was a great babysitter to be able to support his, his little one. And, you know, you, you do what you have to in order to be able to make the project successful. But it's because I knew him and I, I knew the, the challenges that he was going to have in his personal life. You know, there's no, there's no separation between personal life and work life. Sometimes you have to understand the whole person. Yeah. And, you know, making that journey together as a team uh, makes it all worth it.
1: I know a few years ago, Patrick Lencioni, in his book, Three Signs of a Miserable Job, cited one of those factors as that people want to be known as people at work. They need to know that there's somebody there that understands them intimately as a person. And I think that's part of what you're describing.
0: Absolutely. Yes. You said that very well.
1: Well, thanks. We should give Patrick Lencioni credit for that. We should. Yeah. And with that, uh, Laurie Bingham gets the last word. Laurie, thank you. It has been a pleasure talking with you. I look forward to doing it again.
0: Thank you so much.
1: For an easy way to stay up to date on Projectified with PMI, go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and pmi.org slash podcast.